this week on Dig Me Out. With your hosts, Jason Ziak and Tim Minichi. Jay, this week we're back and it's just us. All alone. All alone. Hear the echo, Jay, of the this cavernous. Is a dig Me Out classic. Yeah, this is what we call a album review, which we uh, we like to do every once in a while. We haven't done one in a couple weeks. Mm-hmm. And uh, this was a, uh, a pick by one of our longtime listeners, Gavin Reed. He's got uh, multiple picks per year that he sends to us, and we are always intrigued. He's like the Cleveland Browns that dig me out. He is. He has multiple first-round picks. He has eight picks in the first two rounds. Right. But not many Johnny Manziels, Jay. Uh, Money more uh, Tommy Vardell's than Johnny Manziels. Money more. I see what you did there. Money money more. No, uh, he he has a pick that I think this is his second of the year. and his overall his 400th pick of the uh, podcast, a band that I was not familiar with, Jay, and I, I don't think you were either. They're called the Falling Joys. Is that correct? You got the name right. Yeah. Yeah. You were not familiar with them. No. Me neither. Not at all. Yeah. Uh, so let me give you some info before we get into his comments and then the comments of our Patreons, uh, patrons over at patreon.com forward slash dig me out. So they're from Canberra, Australia, and formed in 1985, and they were around till 1995, and then they've done a few reunion shows here and there. The primary lineup is Susie Higgy, uh, vocalist, Stuart Robertson on bass, Pat, or sorry, Pete Velzen on drums, and Pat Hayes on guitar. So... They have three albums. We're reviewing their second album, which came out in 1992. It's called Psycho Hum. It was on the Volition label. They all, all three of their releases were on the Volition label, Jay. 1990s Wish List and then 1993's Ariel. Interesting fact, every single one of these went to number one on the Australian Independent Album Chart. Now, in terms of the Aria chart, this one made it to number 35. What does independent mean? Independent uh, label or independent? Yeah, I think independent label chart. Hmm, okay. And then... What's, a, what's an independent label in Australia? One that's not connected to one of the major labels. One of the American major labels? Well, no, they have a, American... Global, ma- global major labels? I think they have subsidiaries of Americans there or or you know branches of American... Majors, you know, your Sony, your EMI, your... Okay, so you know, global. Sorts, probably. Someone correct us on this. We need someone from the Double J to clarify that, if you could <laughs> I think bring us up. I thought it was Triple J. Double J, Triple J, something like that. Um, they also have a couple EPs, 1989's Omega, 1991's Jennifer, and 1995, 1995's Universal Mind. Now, the interesting thing, when they put out their debut album, Wishlist... Not only did it go to the, on, number one on the Australian independent chart, and it went to number 51 on the Australian album chart, it made number 45 on the U.S. college album. Huh? Yeah. They did actually come over here to the United States on that record and toured 
Wow. Okay. Yeah. 92. That was 90. So 92 is this record. Yeah, that was their first album. So this is the follow-up. Gotcha. Now, the band did have turnover in terms of lineup. The original lineup was different on uh, guitar and drums. Um, They also originally had a keyboard player and a saxophone player. Uh-oh. So, But they, they got rid of that. Okay. By the time we saw them. Um, or when I saw them, but by that time uh, we've gotten to this record that, that right. we're reviewing. You can't become to America with a saxophone. No. Not in the, not in the 90s. No. no. They put you right back on the plane. <laughs> yeah. The, like I mentioned, the band broke up in 95 after the release of their uh, second album and then their their third ep overall um and then they've gotten back together to do some reunion shows here and there they've worked on uh, other music lead singer Susie higgy has worked with conway savage who is a member of the nick cave uh, the band the bad seeds um they did an album together um she did a solo album in 2002 um and yeah, so let's uh, get into the comments, Jay. From uh, so when when I originally approached Gavin about uh, doing this record, he actually gave me some some comments, and then we'll get into the stuff that he posted over on Patreon. But he said, "I'm interested in your thoughts as the early '90s are more interesting than the late, as no one knew what was happening by the late '90s, and by the late '90s, the pigeonholes were clear." Um, this album is a good example of songs that don't follow a theme musically, which is its strength. So those are some things we can discuss. And then he he posted some more comments over at uh, Patreon. He said, uh, this album is a quintessential 90s album in that you can really place it as a sound. This is from the time where it became okay to just play what you liked. You didn't have to fit any fit into any specific genres as the labels didn't really understand what alternative meant. So just release anything. Uh, on here we have an almost Pantera circle, circa Cowboys from Hell guitar sound on black bandages uh, to the gentle lullaby of A Winter's Tale with a lot of stops in between. This, makes, this mix makes my favorite Falling Joys album as it stays interesting. Keith Sawyer says, great pick by Gavin. Bought this when it came out. No sophomore slump here as it is an improvement on their debut in every way. Most striking is the improved production, which really brightens and separates the instruments and definitely handles the transition from rockers to ballads and pop tunes. The first four tracks give you a real feel for the LP. Incinerator is a particular favorite with the lovely jangly guitar. Natural Scene is another top tune with such a great guitar tone and vocal delivery. Some strong rockers here too. God in a Dustbin would have been my choice for a single with its psychedelic-tinged vocals. And then Steven Musinski said, my favorite... First few listens were a bit unpleasant due to some extremely poor quality MP3s, but once I heard it the way it was intended to be heard, I was quite taken with it. God in a Dustbin is a standout track for me, although I gotta say, and I only noticed this with headphones on a headphone listen, but there are some really wispy, barely there acoustic strumming going on in the chorus of the song that I find extremely distracting. Did anyone else pick up on this? I mean, that's getting nitpicky. Overall, I do like the song, and most of the album, the title track took me a bit by surprise. That one felt felt a bit left fieldish. 
outside of that, I feel like they were able to aptly manage the diverse mix that Gavin mentioned quite well. So those comments are so good. I almost feel like we could just, just go ahead and do our rating and wrap the episode up. Yeah. We're going to make this a quick, <laughs> you know, we started out doing five minute to 10 minute episodes. Jay, we're just going to do that right now make this a 10 minute episode. Those were great. Yeah. Let's, let's, you know, reflect on those comments and, and add some of our own. Tell me one thing you liked about this record. Well, it does, it does conjure that early nineties, late eighties, um, freedom that alternative music had where it could be anything, mm-hmm. which, I, which I heard in some of the comments. Um, so you hear some of that eighties, like pretenders kind of feel, or even like bangles or go-go's kind of like playing with pop music, but doing it in new ways, uh, in a band context mm-hmm. that I like a lot. Obviously the production, um, puts a big time stamp on it, which, uh, isn't a bad thing. It, it kind of adds to the it fits the sound. It very much feels like that time, both from a music standpoint and a production standpoint. So I did find that refreshing. Like, I think uh, Gavin might have mentioned it, but it kind of nails that that freedom that existed when alternative was truly alternative, meaning it could be anything as long as it wasn't expected. You know, so I think it they they do that well, um, but it's still very pop oriented in, in terms of the melodies. Um, the overall song structures, you know, f- for the most part, it's verse chorusy. Um, the vocals. So in that way, it's familiar as you know, pop rock music, but it definitely has a very um, cool and and unique take on it. Yeah. Now, and, and the production is very much a big a part of that. We can get into it in a bit here in a minute, but I think the production is very much tied to the band, and it makes me also wonder, what what is this band without the production? Uh, what, What do they actually sound like? So... What did you like about it? Well, I, I liked a lot. One of the things I'll narrow it down was I, I really like the guitars on this record in terms of there is a lot of interesting effects that are used. I mean, a lot of them are early 90s sort of um, flange and, and and chorus and and delay and, and all these, you know, there's a little bit of like, um, I don't know what it's like a shoegazy kind of um, where it's... Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, layering on a couple different effects and you get this like really unique sound that reminded me of in spaces like lush yep. and um, i really like that and it, and it changes from song to song you know like uh Keith mentioned god in a dustbin that's a really cool riff in that song and i really like that that reminded me a lot of of um like lady killers era lush but then there are other songs that reminded me of um uh, the band Marion, 
that we reviewed. Oh which yeah, was like a Brit pop band that had you know they but they weren't really Brit pop. They had a lot more edge to them, but a mm-hmm. lot of like jagged and um, uh, really sharp guitar lines on that record that reminded me of this, but then they could get real pretty with like a chorus, you know, arpeggiated guitar line and stuff like that. And I, I really liked how this, uh, and I guess it's Pat Hayes and, and, and um, Susie, they're playing guitar. You know, there's a lot of interesting guitar stuff. Um, I didn't get as nitpicky as Steven did with the acoustic. Um, you know, I listened to it both with headphones and then also driving around in my car. Um, which I found that this cranked in my car sounded really good. Um, and a, a lot of the, the stuff just, yeah, it is pinned to sort of like the late 80s, early 90s with a lot of the stuff, but it sounds good. It's well-produced overall that yeah. it doesn't bother me that these sound so, uh, you know, retro in in terms of listening to it now. <laughs> Well, the version I listened to is remastered. Did you listen yeah, to the remaster? I listened to the remaster on Spotify. Okay. So uh, th- this production sometimes can come off now very thin. Like it really requires you uh, to crank your <laughs> your system, which a lot of us don't have high-powered audio systems anymore because music's so compressed you don't need them. Right. So um, I think they did a good job remastering it. So it, even though it's soaked in so much delay and reverb and chorus, it doesn't get thin um, at all. And you can still, you know, it still sounds big. So when you crank it in the car, you know, it, 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 it matches what current, you know, music sounds like in terms of it's still big. It still fills the space. It's still got enough bass. Um, some of that stuff, like the, the first Catherine Royal record can get real thin, brittle sounding with all the delay and, and, and reverb where you get all this high end, but you totally lose the bass and the mids. Um, so good job there with the remaster. I, I also want to highlight um, her vocal and just how, you know, we've talked about in the past how, you know, this, she's the, she's mostly singing on this record. Um, I, I, guess it's pat hayes who's singing the other stuff um but they do some back and forth primarily like i think of like a song like incinerator where they're like trading vocal on like the choruses which reminds me of like um uh that uh what is that song love shack no not love well love shack (laughs) would be an example no that uh i was kidding don't you want me baby uh that you know, I was working as a waitress in the cocktail bar. That, oh that yeah, song. yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it was. It reminded me of that in that it was like yep. an updated, like '90s version or '90s sure. take on on that sort of a song.
but I just I really like the where her voice rests with regards to the band. It's not you know it's not produced in a pop way where it's like so overpowering that you can't hear the rest of the band. But she's got a crystal clear voice, and I like her range. Um, it just rests well with everything that's going on, and um, she's she turns a lot of interesting phrases. God in a dustbin. Um, she does a lot of cool melodic stuff where she kind of like the the band is sort of playing in majors, and she's doing these like things where she's taking her vo- vocal and like playing around with not necessarily staying in a major key, um, just like making it sound a little darker. And I, I liked that. Um, but yeah, I just, her vocal really worked well for me I, on the songs that work. We can get into later some of the songs that didn't work. And that's where I had more of a challenge. Um, but on the songs that worked, her vocal was like spot on for yep. me. I'm with you. It's, it's, um, it's a really good vocal. Uh, I do like when they sing together. I do like when they swap back and forth. It just changes things up and keeps it interesting. I think a song like Winter's Tale um, really pushes the harmonies too. Oh, you know, yeah. They, they can really they can really pull it off, um, at least on the record. I don't know what it sounds like live, but from a record standpoint, I mean, they go to a place that's like, um, like the, almost like the Eagles or something. Like, yeah, it's, it's really song complex. Off, has a country feel to it in, in spots. So, or an Americana kind of folky vibe to it. So mm-hmm. it uh, shows a whole other side of the band. And that's, and that's one of those tunes where that production isn't maybe the best choice. I mean, the song is strong enough that it works, but that's the kind of song where it makes me really want to know what this band would just sound like stripped down. Just, you know, that tune with acoustic guitars, more of a live feel, like what do they sound like? You know, um, is it a very is it a completely different band then without all the uh, extra ambiance and whatnot that the uh right the the pounds and pounds of reverb reverb and delay add um because it really gets to be a huge part of the sound on some of these songs the vocal has so much reverb on it that you hear it bounce you know in headphones you'll hear it span the entire stereo space like it'll the line will be delivered in the middle and then you'll hear it like almost a full second later in your right ear (laughs) echoing it's so dramatic um and that creates like this whole other set of tones because all those tones are kind of reflecting off of each other it just it gives this way different sound Um, it gives you that shoegaze thing right you get all these frequencies bouncing off each other you get this like wash of wash of sound and this is a band where the playing's good you know really strong the vocal is really strong the songwriting is really strong um and it just makes me wonder what they would sound like if they were more stripped down if it would still work or not Sin. All of my confidence 
I don't have as big an issue with it like on a song like lullaby which is you know pretty quiet and there's a ton there's a lot of reverb on her vo- voice and then and then she doubles it with a harmony um it's you know really the song is carried by her voice you know the drum and bass and then there's like a little bit of like a synthesizer going on for the choruses and then there's some like picked guitar yeah in, in parts like that, it, I don't know, it worked for me because it added this like haunting kind of effect to what was going yeah. on in the song. Well, that's what I'm saying. I'm not saying I dislike it. I guess I'm saying, does that play up? Does it complement what they do to the point where it is who they are? Like it makes the sound. Right. And if you were to take that away, would they not be the same band anymore? That I'm just raising that question of how does the effect enhance or detract from the band some people are saying Um, i think in most cases tracks from the band (laughs) well typically i think we would i don't know at least i would be more in that camp and i'm I'm, i guess i'm on the fence i don't know i I agree with you a song like um a song like lullaby it has that cool like 80s kind of synthy sound where the you know super reverb drums sound right you know it sounds like concrete blonde yeah. But yeah, I'm with you on the guitar too. I think um, I love the I love the riff in Black Bandages. I don't know if it's Pantera esque, but <laughs> I was thinking more Swerve Driver. Yeah, uh, you know it it, it 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 has like those weird bends that they do too. Like if you really listen, where then you hear them like I don't know upping the pitch or something, like bending the strings as they're mm-hmm. playing banging on those chords. And um, there's some interesting little guitar fills and and leads. Um, there's not really, there's not really any big lead sections in the record, but there are some nice riffs and guitar leads as well. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I'm with you on the guitar playing. Now there, overall, I really like the record. There are two songs that did, that rubbed me the wrong way. Uh, do you want to guess one of them? Can you guess? (laughs) Fortune teller? Yeah. Yeah. I don't know what is going on. Now, this is an example where, yes, you were kind of like free to do what you wanted in early 90s alternative and could just kind of explore different sounds. This to me sounds like like a like a Red Hot Chili Peppers B-side. I, I, <laughs> that's funny. I had uh, I had Blondie B-side, like a Blondie album track that nobody wants to listen to. Oh, OK. <laughs> Thank you. 
uh, but they, they it get is funky. such a standout. They yeah, get funky, and this is a band that should never get funky. No, don't get funky. No. <laughs> Keep Dear that at home. God. That song does not work for me in any way, shape, or form. The other song that I just doesn't work for me is Challenger. Um, it's just a yeah. little too clean and a little too. Uh, it's boring. It, it, yeah, it's just boring. There's not there's not enough going on with that song. It's sleep sleepy time, right? Um, I I had a hard time with Psycho Hum. Uh, because I could not get out of my head bang the Bengals uh hazy shade of winter. There are just a couple like notes and melodies in there that just remind me so much of that that I just couldn't get that out of my head. And I really didn't like the chorus. I felt like it turned into like a Frank Sinatra song. Like it went in a totally It is weird. Strange direction that I didn't dig. It was more like a it's okay to me. It's not something that like makes me when I just turn the song off, like with the, those other two songs. Uh, but yeah, it's it's jarring the juxtaposition of the two parts where it's like this, you know, riff where you're walking up the notes. Mm. Like you said, like Hazy Shade of Winter. And then all of a sudden you're in this like, you know, 1950s swing. Yeah. it It's not, it doesn't quite work. But I didn't find it like as bothersome as the other songs. It's not boring. The other two no. are one is immediately skip worthy and the other one is, you know, put you to sleep. Right. Which I guess if you know, you're the band and you've, you know, you got three strong songs to start the record out. You're like, okay, we got to cool it down. <laughs> we got to put our ballad here. Yeah. Uh, I would have preferred lullaby be there and challenger move to the end of the record. Yeah, that that's a bad spot for that song because it just like grinds the. You just have gotten a dustbin, which is a great track, up tempo, great riff, and then you immediately go into Challenger and you're like, ugh, this kills the momentum right there. Yep. And then having Challenger separated by one song to Lullaby, those are two two of the slowest songs on the record or quietest songs on the record. Or go to, with ending or beginning there. You know, I'm I'm assuming they put it at the end because of the title, but right. That's like a just a cool, lush, shoegazy feel song that would be a great yeah. way to bring the album down a little bit but not go into boring, you know, because it's still really haunting and it fits the first track pretty well and, yeah. Now, when I was reading about this band, Jay, uh, the, one of the comparisons that was made was to Rat Cat. Do you remember Rat Cat? I do. So, I don't remember them sounding like this. Yeah, so that was the thing is that when I remember Rat Cat, I remember them doing sort of like a a Beach Boys, Jesus and Mary Chain, like fuzzy pop thing, which I believe we liked for part of the record, mm-hmm. but kind of didn't work for the whole thing. And I feel like this band pulls off what they're doing more successfully because they're it's not as clear an homage to like that band was clearly doing a Jesus and Mary Chain kind of thing. Yep. And the Jesus and Mary Chain are basically doing the Beach Boys with a lot of feedback and noise. At least mm-hmm. on the you know the first couple of records. Whereas this I feel like there this is a bit more of a, you know, a statement uh, of their own creation. It's not in, in you know immediately indebted to a previous band. I wasn't listening to this going, "Oh, this is clearly, you know, 
influenced by this and this. Like a lot of the bands we're mentioning are contemporaries of this band. They're not, you know, bands that existed beforehand. So when we mentioned like Serp, Swerve Driver, or Lush, these are bands that are happening at this time. Sure. So, you know, they would have been easily playing with those bands. I don't know if they did or not, but they could have easily played with those bands and and fit right in. So I think when I, I, it was in some Wikipedia article about uh, bands, just, ba- you know, indie bands that were breaking through at this time in Australia. And I feel like overall this to me worked better than a lot of the records that we've had the opportunity to check out. One of the other ones was was, um, uh, that regurgitator record that we reviewed. I think it was last year Uh, again, like worked on a couple songs, but not overall uh, as, as I think cohesive as this record is. And maybe yeah. it's the production that provides the cohesion, but I feel like her vocal and the guitar work are are two strong elements that really really bring the whole thing together. Agree. Because the styles do vary. Like I said, I mean, you go from yeah. a very country feel to Swerve Driver to straight-up pop music sometimes. I mean, was it Incinerator? Look at my notes, but... You know, some very bright major kind of sounding pieces parts of this this mm-hmm. record so it's all held together by you know, the production the and the vocal and, the, and yeah the, the approach to the guitars all right so were the album better ep decent single where do you land album um we talked about two um well i talked about two i don't like i'm with you on challenger as well and I think Dynamite's okay. I don't love it. I thought the course is a bit of a letdown, but it, it's it's fine. Um, but the rest of the record I like. So um, I really only pull two off, and you're at a ten. Yeah, ten tracks there. I think we're at the same same point. Ten track record. You can nitpick, you know, one or two of the other songs whether they were strong enough or not. But nine or ten songs. This is a really good record. And uh, we need to thank Gavin Reed for once again bringing us something interesting that we have not heard before. Yeah. And uh, once again, proving that there was a whole alternate universe <laughs> of music taking place in Australia that we were not aware of. And <laughs> when we uh, started this uh, podcast, I think both of us felt like we could review, you know, uh, just the ones that were on our radar for for eternity. Like there were enough releases that we would never run out episodes. And then Gavin showed up with. <laughs> this thumb drive of a whole other planet right that had seemingly the exact same amount of forgotten releases so yeah i think our kids are gonna have to inherit this podcast to get all these albums reviewed well i keep the usb stick in a in a safe <laughs> locked away and it'll be passed down along with my insurance documents to uh <laughs> to my daughter so she could take over a little piece of australia yeah, there you go. Because that's about as close as you're getting. Because <laughs> uh, I don't think we're flying there. It takes too long. Um, I don't like to fly. So you have to, you'll have to uh, foot that one on your own, kid. Sorry. <laughs> Here's a picture of a kangaroo and a thumb drive. There you go. I'm sure the VR experience will be awesome in 15 years anyways. <laughs> uh, 
want to remind folks, uh, you can go to Patreon at patreon.com forward slash dig me out to become a patron. You can join us at the $1 level to get access to bonus content entered into our quarterly contests and vote in our polls. You also get early access to our album reviews. And then when you leave comments, we read them on the air. And also, if you like what you heard, please consider leaving us some positive feedback over at iTunes. We do so appreciate it. And do you want to mention the thing about the uh, album? Yeah. So uh, we've made it easier to submit album ideas to us. So if you've got a record that you think our listeners uh, should hear and uh, want us to review, of course, you can always go to Patreon and join us at the $5 level and you can just pick the record and we'll review it uh, after 12 months. Or you can go on the website and you'll find a link to submit uh, a recommendation. So what we'll do is take that submission, we'll put it with um, three others, and we will vote on it on Patreon. So our patrons will be able to pick uh, the four of the submissions we get one a month and uh, the winner will pull forward and we'll go ahead and review it. So yep. it's a way to get your uh, albums that you want other people to hear, become aware of them. And then uh, hopefully uh, you win and you can hear us ramble on about it. Now the normal, you know, show loose guidelines apply. If you submit Nirvana, never mind. <laughs> we're probably not going to include that. Well, for patrons pick it. We'll see. Jay, we have to have I find some, it highly, There have to be highly, some rules. I, I trust our, I trust our uh, board advisors. Yeah, we'll I, take I, it to I, the board. I highly doubt if four records are rec- uh, voted on in Patreon that uh, our, our folks uh, on there, our patrons, will actually pick the boring. What if it was four record? Blues Travelers albums? Jeez. <laughs> oh, Although I think they do like to torture us sometimes. <laughs> That's that's why we always get ties. Somebody waits until the last three seconds and then clicks the the button to make a tie. That's how it goes. All right. Thanks, everybody, for listening. For Jay, I'm Tim. We're out, and we'll be back next week with another episode of Dig Me Out. Thanks for listening. To support the podcast, visit www.patreon.com forward slash digmeout and become a monthly subscriber at www.digmeoutpodcast.com where you can find links to our Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram pages, as well as our merchandise store at zazzle.com.